It is good to see you back. I, of course, am here. My name is Chris Shaw. You can call me Critter. It gives me great pleasure to welcome you back to the newest episode of Thomas Tales, here on the Tall Guy with the Short Stories podcast. Just to help you smooth back into the story, when last we left Thomas, the huntsman had told him that he would be going hunting with himself and the blacksmith in four days' time. As excited as the boy was, though, he fell asleep and immediately began to dream. In the dream it was raining, and it became difficult for Thomas to keep pace with the two older men, his footsteps sliding and slipping underneath him in the mud. He wished to call out to the smith and hunter, but his voice wouldn't work, and they continued to stalk into the gloom, slowly leaving Thomas behind, alone, in the sheer, impenetrable darkness. Thomas awoke from the dream with a start, and was amazed to find that the entire night had passed by. He seemed rested from his slumber, but this dream gave him an anxious feeling that was difficult to forget about. So, he decided to throw himself into his work. It might make the time pass more quickly. The next four days were filled with work at the smithy. Meal times with the smith and the hunter, anticipation about the hunting trip, not to mention the day off, and exhausted sleep. The young man was learning several things about the smithing business, and several more things about hunting and his muscles had never been employed the way he was using them at the smithy, so he quite naturally slept quick and hard. And so it was that the hunter and the smith found Thomas on the morning of their hunt, completely oblivious to the world, on his bed in the old jailhouse. I worry that I'm working him too hard, said the smith, a concerned cast to his eyes. He is, after all, quite young. Nonsense, smith! The boy's got a strong heart, an even stronger head! and the training is keeping him out of trouble while also teaching him a trade. The old man clapped the smith on the back, roughly. It was very loud in the silence of the morning in Thomas's jail. The boy didn't stir a bit. After a generous amount of rousing, up to and including the use of cold water, the two men got Thomas awake. As soon as the boy's eyes opened, he wordlessly began to push his way past the two men. Easy, lad, said the smith, and began holding the boy's shoulders by way of reassurance. Oi! said Thomas. Let go of me before I piss myself! A squeak in his voice. The smith and hunter cleared off for the boy to go and relieve himself, both feeling a bit awkward now. In a few moments, Thomas rushed back in and smiled broadly. I'll be ready in a tick, gents! The hunter and smith had brought everything they would need for their hunt. The smith had a bow unstrung on his back. The huntsman had one as well, though not as thickly staved or as heavily curved. The old man held a bundle under one arm as they prepared to leave the old warehouse. Thomas, he called, and it was obvious he was deadly serious. The boy answered and listened intently. This bow belonged to my son before a blight took my family. It hasn't seen much use since back then, but I've kept it in good order and good repair, hoping, thinking maybe I could sell it, but, but lad, if you promise to be careful and treated with respect. The old man held out the boat, still wrapped in its cloth, for the boy to take. His gnarled old hands shook slightly as he held it out, almost as if they were reluctant to give the bow over to a different pair of hands. Thomas held his hands out and began to slowly reach for the bow, a look of awe and wonderment on his face. As he slowly extended his arms to the bow, he heard the old man grunt, though he wasn't sure if it was with some kind of 
pain of age or a statement of any kind. I said be careful, lad, not timid! The old man thundered, and the boy quickly snatched the bow from the old hunter. Also taking the sheath knife the smith held out, it was a blade Thomas had helped him with. After relinquishing the bow, the old man turned and began walking toward the forest, muttering under his breath. The smith looked at Thomas with merriment in his eyes and nudged the boy with his foot. Don't feel bad, lad. That old bear cares something for you. Just don't know how to say it. Then he headed after the old hunter, nodding at Thomas to signal the boy to follow. Once inside the forest, everything changed. The light grew dimmer, it seemed but the next moment only seemed greener rather than dimmer. The sounds didn't travel as easily as before. Footfalls were muted. The sighing wind through the trees was an ever-present whisper, casting smaller sounds into disarray, if not outright drowning them. The smith and hunter changed too. The old man looked around the forest slowly and breathed deeply from his nose. The smith followed these actions, though his eyes were closed. Thomas felt as though he should be very still and very quiet as the two men seemed to commune with the forest around them. The boy took his cue from the two older men and breathed in deeply from his nose. He smelled forest. Thomas wasn't sure beyond that what he should be smelling. However, he did notice that after a week solid working every day in the smithy, this breath of freshness almost seemed to invigorate him. There was no smell of coal or heating metal, no scent of charred hair where the boy was painfully reminded to keep the hat on. Again, the smell surrounding him felt wild and free, and instantly, Thomas wanted more. He opened his eyes what seemed a bare moment later, only to find the smith and the hunter watching him from several yards away, having moved forward in eagerness, broad smiles on their faces. He had been caught up in the feeling of the woods and didn't hear them begin walking away, so he hurried to catch up with them. No sooner had he begun to run toward them than his ears complained of all the noise he was making as he moved. Thomas slowed, not wanting to spoil the nature sounds with his own. When he looked up again, both the hunter and smith had approving smiles on their faces. The hunter jabbed his elbow at the big smith and then gestured toward the boy, muttering something Thomas could not hear. The smith smiled too. After that, the hunter took the lead, and the smith gestured for Thomas to take his place in line behind the old man. Thomas, quickly and as quietly as he could, followed along with his eyes peeled, striving to make no more sounds than the smith or the hunter. The old man never turned back to pay any attention to the boy or the smith, but the boy became encouraged when once, after what seemed like hours, his foot slipped and the smith was there to catch him. The big crafter lifted the boy to his feet easily enough and touched a finger to his lips, somehow sensing the boy was about to apologize. Thomas stayed silent, and continued following the hunter. The old man's movement became more sure with each passing hour, it seemed, the forest seemingly breathing life into the old bones, giving renewed energy to muscles that saw seldom use. If Thomas could have seen the old man's eyes, he would have wondered. Passion, the sum of his life's learning to test and put on display for the boy and the smith, and the old man would be damned if they caught first sight of their query. A feverish intensity entered the green eyes that had, after all the years, never dulled. So it was in their inscrutable survey of their surroundings that the old man caught sight of a doe. Then three. They were in a dense thicket of pine boughs and underbrush, grazing quietly and seemingly relaxed in the surrounding branch and bow. 
the old man signaled a halt, and then lowered his hand to let the other members of his party know to stay low. They both obeyed immediately, the boy making a small twig snap in his haste to obey. The old man glared at Thomas, silently berating him for the slip, and the lad's head bowed in shame. Then the hunter caught the gaze of the smith, harder than the iron he worked with, and more resolute than bedrock. The smith slashed his hand through the air angrily, a gesture missed by the young boy, but more than received by the old man. He bowed his head at head in silent acquiescence. He also made a mental note to be a bit easier on the boy. The old man glanced slowly at the grazing deer. Either they had missed the noise, or they weren't worried about it as they continued to graze. The old man felt a smile stretch his face, and he crept closer to the smith and his apprentice. I've spotted a few does in yonder scrub, he reported, muting both the S sounds and the volume in his voice. He gestured for Thomas to stand beside him, then gestured for the boy to watch the deer. The old man leaned down and whispered quietly in the lad's ear, If they move into position for you to shoot, make sure Smith and I aren't in the line of fire, and take one. The old man then ghosted toward the smith, making less noise than a mouse would. They both moved silently into positions opposite the boy around the deer, maybe a hundred yards away in the scrubby brush and pine needles. The boy could barely see his two escorts as they moved away and took up position. He made himself as silent as possible and imagined how it would feel to take one of the deer in front of the old man and the smith. His heart began to beat faster and a smile brightened his face as several long minutes later the deer began to move slowly toward him as they grazed. Achingly slowly, torturously slowly, they stepped, small step by small step, closer to Thomas. He had already begun to raise his bow and draw the string, performing these movements just as slowly as the deer were moving. The moments ticked by as the quarry, unaware of the hunter, continued moving closer and closer. Sweat dripped at the boy's eyes, and he blinked rapidly to clear them, succeeding only in causing his eyes to start burning as the sweat entered them. He longed to rub at his eyes, but he would not fail the hunter and smith. The deer were almost into a perfect position, their bodies broadside as they paced silently forward. And then, the wind shifted, and the does looked up in alarm, all as one, turning their heads to face Thomas. And then, after lifting their stark white tails, they bolted from their grazing and were dozens of yards away in bare moments. Thomas's heart sank. He had been so focused, so absolutely committed, and now his moment was gone rushing deeper into the forest and taking with them not only the boy's victory, but the fresh venison for the civil servants. His head hung in shame, and his attention was not on his task. Then he very clearly heard a voice like iron from the smith. Thomas! Drop down, lad! Quickly! have a confession to make. I love disc golf. There, I said it. If you're like me, and you also like disc golf, why don't you go to evolutiondiscs.com. Upon your checkout, enter the code CDS for 10% off. They've got all the molds you're looking for. They've got bags. They've got powder bags. They've got range finders. They've got <laughs> really anything. Go ahead and give them a look. Evolutiondiscs.com. Don't forget to use code CDS for 10% off at checkout.
This episode has been brought to you by J. Randall Art. That's two L's in Randall, by the way. You can find J. Randall Art on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter underneath that same handle, J. Randall, two L's, Art. Stop by, take a look at some of his stuff, like him a whole lot of times, give him some comments, maybe even commission a piece or two. That'd be pretty cool. Don't forget to mention that the tall guy sent you. Another sponsor for today's episode is Meech's Minis. Now, if you go to Etsy.com and you type in that little search bar, Meech's Minis, M-E-A-C-H-S-M-I-N-I-S, you will find some artwork from a true genius. Not only can the man paint minis, he can also modify them for you. I mean, depending on what you want to do. But don't take my word for it. Go on over and take a look at some of the things he's done. They're absolutely fantastic. Truly. The boy reacted with the quickness of youth and was flat on his belly in an eye blink. There was no time for thought. The boy's movement was simple reaction. A bare instant after Thomas's body hit the forest floor, a gaunt wolf leapt through the space the lad had been occupying not a moment before. The two men began shouting at the wolf to gain its attention. The wolf landed gracefully and checked his speed smoothly, turning to orient on the small form of Thomas a soundless moment later, and Thomas's heart began to beat a quick rhythm against his ribs. The wolf's jaws parted, revealing slavering teeth, foaming lips, and a rotten odor. A growl bubbled from its throat, and it sounded sickening and grotesque, not to mention more odiferous. If this beast was able to lay open a single cut with those teeth, and Thomas was sure it could manage, the boy would be in even more serious danger. He gained his feet as the wolf came nearer, slow step by slow step, growling and snarling all the while. The hunter and Smith had begun moving toward them, but they seemed to move sluggishly to Thomas, his rapid heartbeat and the awareness of his senses seemingly slowing time for the lad. They were shouting at him to run. He heard them, but the information seemed to be on a different level somehow, unimportant background noise. He smoothly drew the knife the Smith had given him, and, cringing with the necessity of his action, he touched the finely crafted blade to the well-cared-for bowstring. The staves separated with a loud, sharp-sounding pop. The bow vibrated in the boy's hands so hard he could scarcely hold on to it, and the wolf halted its advance for a moment, cringing away from the detonation of the bowstring. He awkwardly tried to resheathe the knife, but was unwilling to take his eyes off the wolf, and it took him longer than he would have liked. He took hold of the bow with both hands, and only lightly planted his feet. The beast was large for its breed, and the boy knew how quick it could move. He wanted to remain able to spring away from it, while still having a bit of power to his own attacks. The wolf rushed in, snarling, testing the boy, and Thomas backed away quickly, holding his bow between himself and the beast. An arrow came in from the direction of the hunter. It slammed into the great wolf's flank and lodged. The smell of blood now adding to that of the forest, the boy's fear, and the beast's stink. And the wolf lunged at Thomas with a howl of pain. The boy added his squeaky battle cry to the snarls of the wolf the shouts of his friends, the thundering of his heart in his ears, and the rushing of the air through the wolf's mangy hide as it hurtled toward him. 
barely six feet away. Thomas took hold of his bow and swung with all his might, and his aim was true. The bow connected with the great beast, and the boy felt the impact through his whole body. Unfortunately, the boy's strength, weight, and determination were not a match for the rushing speed, power, and grace of the sickened hunter. All his strike did was move him out of the way of the beast, buying a scant number of seconds. The hunter and Smith crawled closer, inexorably setting their arrival at just past usefulness. What's worse, both the boy and the wolf knew it. They simply could not cover the ground they needed to in that time they had. And that simple fact seemed to clarify things for the young Thomas. There was no imminent rescue, no interposing force that would separate him from the death he was tangled with. And for the first time in his life, the boy realized it was up to him, and he could not hold back. Thomas had known he was lucky with his strike. Lucky in the sense that it hadn't caused his utter destruction at the sharp teeth of the wolf he faced. He knew he wasn't likely to survive another rush by the wolf. And then an idea popped into his head, something so simple it almost made him laugh out loud. If he could only time it right, he might live to tell. The wolf gathered itself again to leave at Thomas, and he settled his grip on his bow, set his feet upon the ground and bent his knees, readying himself. Fear had no place in his thoughts, merely survival. This was the oldest of struggles, and they completely consumed the young man. As the wolf began to descend, Thomas did not flinch away. He did, however, point his bow straight at the wolf's mouth and set himself against the massive weight of the beast, knowing nothing he did could stop his predator. The wolf opened its mouth to rip at the boy, its jaws opened wide, breath barking out loudly, claws slashing the air in the boy's direction. But the boy's aim was true, and the end of his bow plunged into the wolf's mouth and the wolf's own weight betrayed the beast, snapping its neck at a sharp downward angle as the boy's weight fell under that of the beast. It landed hard on the boy and Thomas hurt horribly, seemingly everywhere. But the wolf only twitched a few times as it died. The boy tried to move, but the dead weight of the wolf pinned him down ably. He could hear the running footsteps of the smith and the hunter as they cried out their concern for the boy. The smith roared, grabbed the wolf's mangy hide, and lifted the beast from Thomas, literally flinging the beast fifteen feet away. The hunter was by the boy's side a moment later, checking him for injury and speaking quietly to him. Easy, lad, easy, he said in a soothing voice. Everything is going to be fine. Thomas struggled to speak. I'm fine, sir. But the huntsman continued checking him over, asking where it hurt. So Thomas told him. After a few moments, the smith joined them, asking quietly, Will he be all right? Aye, nodded the old man, after having completed checking Thomas for injury. Shouldn't have but a few scrapes and bumps, and nothing from the beast fangs at all. But it was a near thing. Boy, you've got some courage to you. He then took in a shaking breath and nodded to the smith. You'll be buying both myself and the lad. A draft tonight, I shouldn't wonder. He rubbed a weathered hand over his balding pate. Some courage indeed. Maybe more than his smart, lad. He then blew out a shaking breath and tried to smile at the young man. It looked a bit green to Thomas. After the trio had washed, compliments of the blacksmith's bathing area, the old hunter took in a deep breath and nodded at the smith. Lead away, friend. The boy... Here, the old hunter looked Thomas up and down with a smile on his face, then nodded once, decisively. Thomas and I will follow. The blacksmith led them to a small pub not too far from the smith's own shop. It was quiet and smelled of pipe tobacco, beer, and the wood smoke from the fire that crackled noisily in the corner. 
When the barman gained a look at Thomas, one of his eyebrows lifted significantly. But as he looked to the blacksmith for some kind of explanation for Thomas's presence, the smith simply put both of his hands on Thomas's shoulders and led him to a table in the corner. Remarking over his shoulder, This young man has earned the right to be here, barman. Serve us with three bites. Thomas was so stunned at this suggestion that it must have shown on his face, because the hunter began to chuckle. <laughs> oh, Thomas, it's not every day a man single-handedly kills a rabid wolf and lives to tell about it. The barman was only a few feet away when the huntsman had said this, and his eyebrows both climbed from the ceiling this time. He set the drinks on the table and looked to the hunter first, then the smith. They both nodded in the affirmative, smiling rather smugly, Thomas thought, and the barman muttered, On the house. After the three men had finished their ale and dinner, at the huntsman's insistence, they parted ways at the pub door. The blacksmith adding to Thomas in a tired voice, If I see you in the shop tomorrow, I'll throw you farther than I did the wolf. You need a day to rest, lad, eh? Thomas had no problem with the prospect of another day off. After he had walked home, Thomas began his nightly routine, removing his trousers and snuggling into the horse blankets. He was, after all the events of the day, quite literally exhausted, and as he remembered some of the more horrifying moments, tears began to come to his eyes. His breathing began to be less steady, and as all the emotions of the day slammed into him, he began to feel wholly and truly overwhelmed. It was then that she moved from the shadows. A woman, perhaps a year older than Thomas, silently strode into the light coming from the moon through the high window. Her silhouette showed she was athletic, slim, and the curves enticed Thomas's eye. She moved with assurance, a confidence that suggested she belonged here. And then, she spoke. Are you unwell, little blacksmith? She said, and her voice was like honey to the young man's ears. He felt his jaws part as though he was going to say something, but just then Thomas lost his control. It was too much. The hunt today, nearly being eaten by a rabid wolf, his first pint of ale with the men who cared about him, and now this. This beautiful woman was asking after his well-being. Thomas had experienced so many changes today that he simply couldn't take it anymore. The tears that had threatened earlier came back with purpose, and he could no longer fight them. Tears spilled from his eyes. His breath came in gasping jerks as his muscles spasmed. It was too much, all too much. He didn't know why he was crying. He didn't know why he was not frightened of the woman in his home. He didn't know why he could not stop crying. So he cried. Pitiable sounds escaped him. And then, she was there. Thomas felt her slight weight pressed down onto the blankets that covered him. He felt her weight shift as she leaned closer to him, her fingers slowly, gently rising to meet the tears spilling freely from his eyes. She met those eyes, and inside her gaze, Thomas found a sense of belonging. He felt as though he could bear his soul to this woman, and suddenly he found that he wanted to. After a few tries, Thomas managed to get a few words in between his sobbing. What? what what's your name, my friend? She put her arms around him, the heat of her, reassuring, her closeness, comforting her very presence seeming simply right. She tightened her embrace slightly. Then, 
in a whisper. I am Z. Well, that's it for this week, my friends. Hopefully, uh, the emotions that overwhelmed me while I was recording that didn't bother you too much. Please feel free to comment. Feel free to email me at tallguyshortstories at gmail.com. That's tallguyshortstories with a Z at gmail.com. Also, please feel free to share this with all your friends. Rate it. Do all that good stuff. I'd love to see it. We'll catch you next week.